Episode 4, The Tavern, Part 3. Welcome to the Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all you restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who experience them, and share them with you, right here. If you have a story to tell, please send it to thenightowlpodcast at gmail.com. Hi everyone, and thank you for joining us for our third and, I promise, final episode surrounding this awesome historic bar in Austin, Texas called The Tavern. In this episode, Sarah and I finally conclude our findings here. Come along with us as we navigate the web of mysteries surrounding this historic bar, uncover new secrets, and confront the oppressing spirit that appears to be getting stronger and is starting to frighten the staff. A quick warning, this episode references several things from the previous two episodes, and some mysteries that were left unsolved will now be answered in this episode. So if you haven't listened to The Tavern Part 1 or 2, pause this and do so now. The Night Out Podcast is sponsored by HomeAds, a hassle-free website that fills the gap between short-term rentals and annual leases. Rent a place you love in a neighborhood that feels like home. Be sure to visit HomeAds.com for more information. So allow me to do a quick recap before we dive in here. In the Tavern Part 1, we got to hear staff and patrons recount personal, unexplained experiences along with some of the history and theories surrounding the activity at the Tavern. In Part 2, Sarah joined me as we investigated the claims and tried to get some answers for the experiences the staff were having. This investigation didn't go quite as planned and led to some interesting new theories. At the end of the last episode, Sarah reached out to me to let me know she had gotten a name for the male spirit she encountered on her first investigation. She was convinced that this man, who she was now calling Walter, was the man who raped and murdered the young child known as Emily. But on this call, she also let me know that she was getting more impressions from an older female spirit she had seen in passing on her first investigation. Now, Sarah was convinced that this female spirit had something to do with the activities surrounding the tavern and was somehow connected to both Emily and Walter, but she just wasn't sure how yet. Thankfully, General Manager Molly was game for us coming back so I set up a time for Sarah and I to return. But while I waited for that day to come, I began editing and listening to the audio from my interviews with the staff. It was then that I realized Molly had said something that was even more interesting now than it had been when I first recorded it. I used to think it was just Emily. And that would make sense, right? Like, it's one girl, and she's bored, and she's sad, so she's acting out. And then um, Mark was here on a ghost tour, and... He had a woman on the tour who got very upset in the middle of the tour and left the building. And later he was like, you know, what's going on? And she was like adamant. She was like, who owns that building? I have to speak to him. And he was like, why? What? And she was like, I saw Emily. Emily talked to me. She's stuck there because there's an evil male spirit trapping her in the building. And so I was like, okay, like evil male spirit whatever and then I started thinking like a lot of the times the things are kind of like cries for help and how scary would it be if there was this innocent 12 year old girl who's already gone through like the worst and imaginable at 12 and then she can't even pass on because there's some kind of evil entity housing her here at the time this story was interesting and creepy but it didn't quite fit with all the other stories and experiences that were being reported So it didn't stick out to me. But now that Sarah and I had investigated the place, encountered this oppressive male spirit named Walter, 
and had the unexplained photograph with the shadow figure in the attic stairwell, this seemingly unrelated side story appeared to be worth some more attention now. I wanted to investigate it further, and thankfully, I was able to track down the actual tour guide who was giving the ghost tour through the tavern when this incident occurred. His name is Mark. We decided to meet for coffee and get his take on what went down that night. Okay, uh, so this story takes place in uh, October of 2016. I was fairly new to the ghost tour business with Haunted ATX, and I had a, uh, a group of people, uh, and I want to say it was five people and myself, so a total of six, had visited the tavern. Uh, we did our kind of introduction downstairs on the first floor, uh, did uh, the Emily Shoes stories and everything like that uh, on the second floor bar, and then uh, after that we go upstairs into the attic space where... Uh, Emily's body uh, was supposedly found in the floorboards. At that point, we kind of go back into the manager's office. I was standing there pointing things out on the monitor, telling some stories, and there was a lady, a middle-aged lady. She uh, kept looking back into the closet behind the desk, which is a storage closet, and uh, she just kind of kept glancing back there. So after a while, uh, she just kind of rudely pushed past and I stopped her. I put my hand on her shoulder. I said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but you're not allowed behind the desk. And, she's, uh, and she tells me that she wants to see what's in that closet. So she tries to push past and get to that closet after I tell her, I'm sorry, ma'am, that's not an area you're allowed in. That's a staff area. There's no reason for you to go back there. Uh, so she kind of gives me a dirty look and just kind of shrugs my, uh, my hand off her shoulder. And she goes and stands back where she was in the doorway. Uh, and so we continue on with the, uh, with the story. She's pretty quiet the rest of the night. Uh, so at the end of the night, uh, we go back to the meeting place. And she just, again, just comes up very rudely and just says, excuse me. Uh, she's like, I just want to explain what happened back there. Well, I just wanted to see what was in that closet because there was something in there. It's dark, it's scary, and it's evil. And it's after Emily. And when she told me that, the uh, the hair on my arm just kind of stood on end. And she went on to explain furthermore that uh, whatever it was, uh, was in that closet. And it was, uh, Emily was in hiding because of it. The interesting thing about that is uh, up until then, a lot of activity, there had not been a lot of activity. After that, uh, it was kind of strange because more and more activity started kicking off after that. So my personal belief is that uh, whatever was in that closet has been called out and it's not so uh, a secret presence anymore and that Emily's seeking help to be rid of it. On November 14th, around 10.30 p.m., Sarah, Renee, and I found ourselves back at the tavern. I had a buddy of mine named Franklin joining us to take some video and also use some tools to monitor electromagnetic field fluctuations during Sarah's encounters. However, this night, everything felt really off. Not only was Sarah having a hard time tracking down Emily and the male spirit who she was now calling Walter, I felt a strange vibe coming off the staff as well. I sensed rolling eyes and a lot of skepticism. It was kind of oozing off them, but I remained my usual polite self and didn't harp on it. But to be honest, it kind of hurt a little. I'd already invested so much time into this, capturing their personal encounters for episode 2, and I'd also come by twice now to investigate with Sarah. But I realized this is just something that's going to happen. It comes with the territory of having a podcast on the paranormal, I guess. Some people just don't believe, or even want to believe. So we moved on, and tried to see if we could turn this night around. Can you tell me who you are? Because you are not Emily. You just ran her off. Who is she to you? There's multiple ways you can talk to me. Sarah's on the third floor talking to the older female spirit she saw in passing on our first investigation. They're now downstairs. Who is it? Who ran the I have no idea who this person is. It's a woman. It's the woman that I told you that was running around in a different time period. Yeah. 
So that woman, have you seen her when you've, have you gotten here and seen her? I've saw her, but it was, I ignored her the first time that we were here because it wasn't, uh, like, she just didn't seem to be in the right time line. And right, like, when I immediately went to open the door, it was like, all of a sudden she was here, Emily was gone. Today? Yeah. So that's really weird. But Emily was here? Yeah. What did you get from, have you seen the woman clear, more clearly now? No, she's still hiding herself from me, which is kind of weird because I, I normally don't have that. Uh, so I don't know who it is. Do we need to go looking? And uh, Walter is not coming through either. So I'm a little, it's a little strange. I'm going to walk around. I think I'm going to walk around downstairs and see what, why, what's going on. Okay, let's do it. We walked around the first and second floors, but nothing turned up. As we headed back up to the third floor where we had left Franklin... Sarah spotted the woman on the stairs. Do you want to tell me who you are? You can talk to me. Or this device I have in my hand, you can actually talk straight into it. Nope. I'm not going to go. Until you tell me who you are. Come on. Emily's downstairs. She's safe. Can you tell me what, uh, what the deal is with Walter? Why is he with you all the time? Okay, okay. Let's try a different uh, tactic. Not to get angry. All right. Um, I think my theory is right. I think either she's Emily's mother or she is another victim. It's one of the two. So I have that theory, but she, for some reason, has Emily and Walter separated. It's like they're on different, like they can't see each other anyway. They're on different planes. So I'm trying to figure out how she's doing that, or at least to let have her let go of one so I can have a full conversation. Like, I really want to be able to get a hold of Walter. That's the one I really want to get a hold of. But she's not allowing that to happen. Emily is the only one that's kind of like, oh, okay, you know, I'm going to talk to you because I've already talked to you before, which is good. It's easy. But this woman won't. She's avoiding. Like, she'll come in. She'll look. She knew. It was so weird. She knew not to go past the stairs, even though I said, go ahead and go up there. It's okay to go past. And it was like, no, I don't trust you. And so she came back down. But the weird thing is that she was all over that place when I was up there sitting there initially and then just decided to leave again. So it's this really weird. I don't know. I don't know enough to understand the planes of existence, like the way that they they work. Um, so I just have this theory that she has Walter trapped on one plane and she has Emily in another. I think she's the one that's got them here. And I can't figure out how to reach her to get her to stop. So the person that takes stuff, it's Emily. So she's the one that like kind of lets things disappear. But this woman is constantly just separating them from one area to another. And she has such a good hold on Walter that Walter's even afraid of her. So I don't know. I can't. She won't give it to me. She won't give it to me, and I keep getting like a series of a raj of uh, different letters. The interesting thing is I getting, when initially I got here the first time, I kept getting an M or an E or a W. Remember I kept thinking that? Sarah actually had scribbled these three letters in her notebook the first night we were at the tavern. I specifically remember her confusion. 
and her stating that she couldn't make out if the letter she was seeing was an E, M, or W. So, I'm assuming that W is the Walter. The E was for Emily. I think the M is hers. When Walter finally was able to reach out, he gave me his name, no problem. But she's saying the no gate, where the only letters I'm getting are certain ones. So, I don't know. I don't know. I have to, like, it's a little conundrum here. I don't know how this works. But Emily doesn't want, Emily wants Walter gone. I think if I'm able to get Walter to go, I'm able to get this woman to go, and Emily's able to go. I think they're all just kind of stuck. I asked Sarah if she had any theories as to why these spirits would be here. It's anger. Like, all you, all I feel is a- angry. It's either really, really full on anger uh, from the woman or real, like, impactful, like, sadness from Emily. So it's like they're really, you know, both are really strong emotions. Um, but from Walter, it's just fear. Like, sheer shit, straight up fear. It's the weirdest thing. Sarah wanted to go back up to the third floor again and see if she could push the woman into giving her a little more. She came back down and said she had some stuff to share with me, including a name for the woman now. I think this is right, but I'm not quite sure. So okay. Walter seems to be some type of politician, so we need to start looking at some kind of politician back in that time uh, with that name. Maria or Mary... Um, I kept getting Sonora. I could have been wrong. I don't know if that's her last name, her first name, her. It could be for where she's from. I'm thinking it's from where she's from. But she was aiming towards Walter, so it was more telling me about him, that he was very well-dressed, he had money. She was the opposite. So I don't know what that means, but it was the opposite. But I did get a last name for you. Her last name was Sanchez. But this one, this Mary person, this is Emily's mom. Which makes sense. Yes, it made total sense. So, so sh- this one's this is her. So we need to look at somewhere crossing between the 1800s into the 1900s. Politician named Walter, maybe. Walter, Walters. Nothing else with this name, and she won't let me talk to him. So she's totally blocking. But that's all she would give me. And then uh, a Swift. Okay, now you need to leave. Did you get anything like um, her her death or anything no. like that? Nothing. Mm-mm. She was not willing to share more than that. And it was muy huevo. Like, it was more like, all right, fine, because you're not going to leave me alone, and you're not leaving, so I'm just going to tell you what you need to know, you need to go. But she was very angry. So, here's your name. It's <laughs> the name. That's what I wanted. But okay. she wants me to go. But all she right. was pissed. Plenty pissed. Yeah, that's why I didn't understand her initially, because I wasn't expecting Spanish, or not Spanish, but Spanish references. Not the language in Spanish, but the references. But Emily is her daughter. So we had a theory that the, this woman was Emily's mother, and she maybe, I think, just outliving her or outliving her daughter the pain. When she passed, she came back to the spot. And I don't know if he might have just died after she did. And she said, you're not going nowhere, and kept him. Like, she's punishing him. And that explains the emotions. I have fear from him, anger from her, and Emily's just kind of sad. I think it's more of what happened to her or more of not being able to move on. I, I don't know. But her request is to get rid of him. And I think it is, it's one of those, like, you know, when if we were to get rid of him, there's no reason for the woman to stay. There'd be no reason for Emily to stay, right? I mean, they're not causing any harm here at the bar other than Emily messing with everybody. I feel like I wonder if there's any interaction between any three of them. 
Or it doesn't look like it. I think the interaction always happens between the woman and Walter. And Emily's just kind of left alone. Uh, which makes sense. I mean, at that point, Emily, she just feels, I think she's lonely. She's by herself. And she's attracted to other kids. Like, so when kids come in, she's a, she likes that because she gets to play or she gets to, they see her. Uh, but that could go also bad. It's just, you know, depending on how lonely she gets. Now that Sarah had revealed all this new information to me, I pressed her to try once more to push Maria a little bit more to see if she can get some more information from her before we had to leave. Sarah was having a hard time because apparently Maria was strong, angry, and very stubborn. She wants me to get rid of him. You can't do that if you're holding on to him. You know when you have those angry women that are just like, I don't give a fuck, I want this guy to suffer for the rest of his life. I just want him to sit here and deal it and suffer. Yes, it would be me. (laughs) If you missed that... That was Renee, Sarah's husband, saying, that would be you. This is her, exactly. But if she wants me to get rid of him, she wants me to get rid of him, like get rid of him to someplace that he'll suffer, and I don't do that. Sarah started talking to Maria in Spanish. And la foto, la foto que te tomó eras tú? And the photo that was taken, was that you? <laughs> wow, she's really mad. She's going to swallow him whole. That's awesome. Okay, well, we're going to let her be angry. Okay. And we're just going to let her. Ask her about what she, what she wants for Emily, though. What do you want me to do with your daughter? You can't stay here angry all day, all the time. You can't see her? She can't see her. She's here with me. Okay. No te estoy mintiendo. I'm not lying to you. She just left. She left? Yeah. I don't think she knew that she was here. Which is weird because they don't... Well, that makes sense. I told you I'm not familiar with dimensional space. When Sarah mentioned that Emily was there in the building with us, Maria's spirit began running around, searching, maybe even looking for her, she thought. Then Sarah started to get more information from Maria about their names. Emilia. She's popping in and out of the room, in and out of the room, in and out of the room. She's popping in. Which one? Um, Maria. So I'm just going to Emily. Emilia. Emilia Sanchez de Sonora. And she is. Maria Sanchez de Sonora Maria Mary That's what they called her I know that might have been hard to hear Sarah was kind of whispering to herself While she was writing these names down But the names she got were Maria Sanchez de Sonora And Amelia Sanchez de Sonora And it appeared they went by Mary and Emily Sarah believed de Sonora Meant they were from Sonora, Mexico The night it was coming to an end, and I remembered I wanted to test out the light upstairs to see if that could have been what caused the black mass appearance on the photograph Renee took. We went upstairs, and the bar manager, Sam, informed me that there was no way to turn off that stairwell light by itself. The switch actually controlled all the lights on the third floor and the stairwell. He flipped it off to show me. The entire floor went black, and there were no windows up there either. We took more photos, tossed a few theories out there, but in the end, we couldn't debunk the photo. It was starting to feel even more credible now. 
We wrapped up that night feeling slightly more satisfied with this investigation, but not completely still. Molly wasn't working this night either, so word eventually got to her about the photograph. She messaged me begging me to text it to her, but I really wanted to record her reaction after seeing it. So we decided to meet up so she could see it on my computer instead. Okay, let's see it. Oh my god, stop. Stop it right now. Are you serious? That's it's like a Grim Reaper face. And I mean, do you see that? Like it it's the light is gone. It's entirely entirely gone. Holy shit. That yeah, that's can't happen. Oh my god. I'll show you my phone too because I can zoom in even more and I I don't know what these are but they look like fingers. I was about to say that but I didn't know if it was something because I don't remember if there's something that hangs right there but it looks like he's guarding like blocking that area. It's interesting. And holding like onto it. Oh my lord. Now I know why Marvin refuses to go upstairs. He's not going upstairs. He's not going upstairs. Oh that's even worse. That's really even scarier. And this is from the first time you were there? This is the time that you were there. Oh, God. Yeah, I hate that. I hate that so much. Yeah, it, to me, it's a face coming out of the landing with the little hand, like, pulling himself up and blocking off the the crawl space. I'm, I'm not going to work tomorrow. I want you to know that. I'm, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's so scary. Yeah, um, this is the scariest thing. <laughs> oh, I wish I never saw it. <laughs> Sarah reached out to me shortly after to report on some of her findings in her research. She went to the Mexican consulate to try to find record of a Maria or Amelia Sanchez from Sonora, Mexico. Sadly, this wasn't turning up much information. But she had made another discovery in researching some old archive articles online. She uses a name, and I'm going to beep it out for privacy purposes because this is all just speculation and theory. But the man's name that's being beeped out, his last name starts with a W. There was an article about uh, who was a judge during that time, and it says it said something like frequent the tavern, something or other, and it was like in 1920 some odd. So I kind of went and I looked through it. Well, it pops up a picture of, and that is Walter. It is the exact same face, the exact same look. So I was like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, did I get the name wrong? Because I've been seeing it backwards this whole time. And it's possible. I mean, I don't know. This is kind of like one of those weird things. I could have gotten it all wrong. I go through another article and I find another article that says constantly frequented to this tavern was and then it has the address. But the time frame adds up. But here's the thing. I started researching him because I was like, this is the exact same picture. As a matter of fact, it's the exact same look. The only difference is that in the, the way that I see him, he's in... Like, he's always, he looks afraid, and he's always shrouded in a little bit of, like, cloud or mist. So I start looking at him. In pops in this other thing about the... Sarah mentions the name of a specific house located in the Judges Hill District here in Austin, Texas. It was an area established in the mid to late 1800s, and was a common place for wealthy public figures and politicians to live. I looked it up on the map, and it's three quarters of a mile away from the tavern. They literally share the same neighborhood. And this man that Sarah was now telling me about actually lived there. Well, apparently there's some activity there, and they're thinking that every time they see him, he's actually in the presence of, hey, guess what? Big, awesome, gray mitt. Hmm. So I'm like, this is 
so weird. So he actually passed away in 1933, which kind of correlates to come in the timeline that we're in. So Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, what if this guy frequented the tavern, didn't tell his wife, right? Has this awesome little thing with this, you know, Mexican girl who works at this tavern and then does something crazy. And because he's a very well-known politician, nothing happens to him. He gets away with it. It's a little far-fetched. I might be reaching for something, but the problem that I'm having right now wrapping my head around is the exact same person. It is. And you're, you're pretty positive on that? I am almost, like, like right there positive. It is the exact okay. same person. His, even the picture that I have here almost matches the drawing that I did yesterday. Can you send me that picture? Sarah emailed me a photograph of Mr. W., and it was strikingly similar to the drawing she did of Walter from the first night at the tavern. I wish I could show you the image of Mr. W., but I must refrain from sharing that. The act that this man is accused of committing is atrocious, and we simply can't confirm that this man did in fact do it, even though it's what Sarah is seeing. But a few days later, something else happened that surprised me. I got a text from Molly, who was working a special event at the tavern that night. Apparently something happened that frightened one of her staff members, and she wanted me to call her as soon as possible. The staff member was someone new and was unaware of the ghost stories surrounding the place. Molly's text said that this staff member saw something on the third floor stairwell that resembled what was in the photograph we had taken. So yeah, she just, you know, she's she's one of my friends and she just came in tonight to help out because we're a little shorthanded and she doesn't really know what's going on. And um, she came flying down the stairs saying that she saw something and then she told me and like, my blood turned to ice. Before I spoke to this employee, I wanted Molly to know I wanted to get her description of what she saw up on the third floor stairwell before I sent them the photograph for her to look at. That way, the photograph wouldn't influence her description. I wanted to keep her on the phone and have Molly show her the picture and get her reaction after she told me her description of what she saw. Hello? Hi, Ashley? Yes. Okay, hi, my name's Steven. I'm pretty sure Molly might have told you about me. Uh, yeah, kind of a little bit. Nice to yeah. meet you, Steven. Nice to meet you, too. Um, sorry it's under these circumstances, but can you tell me what happened and what you saw? Okay, um, Molly asked me to go get uh, towels from upstairs, like kitchen towels. So I went up there, grabbed the towels. As I was turning around to come back, like to leave the office, um, I saw like a, like a shadow blur type of thing going back down the stairs. And at first, I just thought it was a person. So when I kept walking, there was nothing, like nobody was down the stairs. The door wasn't moving or anything. It was still like right where I had left it. That's when I like freaked out, like just like heart sunk to my toes. And I was like, wow, that was really weird. Definitely not normal. I ran down the stairs and I was like, Molly, like I definitely just saw something. Are you sure nobody went up the stairs? Did you go up the stairs? So I was like, no. I just kind of like tried to not really think about it or not think too much into it because I still had to like finish my shift and it was right there by the door. I might have to ask you a couple more questions about that moment that happened upstairs. What I'm curious about is, okay, you, you, you mentioned you got some towels, you were coming back. Can you recall like when you first noticed this sort of shadow? Like, and, and where were you standing? And then also where was it? Like in relation to the, 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 the landing or the stairwell or can you, can you describe that a little bit? Well, I went up the stairs and like didn't notice anything, like didn't see anything like out of normal, out of like the normal. I don't know. I guess I wasn't really looking for anything particular. Like I knew where the towels would be. 
I mean, I found them easily. They're right in the entryway to the door in the actual office. So I picked them up, grabbed them, and I was just turning around to, like, head back out of the first door. And, like, out of the corner of my eye, first thing I see is, like, something dark standing right by the stairwell, like, on the furthest point away from me. Um, and I just kept walking, like, turning, walking, and it, like moved down the stairs. At this point, I text the photograph of the figure we caught at the top of the stairs to Molly so she could show it to Ashley. Okay, you there? Yes. Okay, great. Okay. And tell Molly you're ready whenever you are. Okay, Molly, you can show me now. Oh my gosh. That is so scary. That's ex- that is like almost exactly where I saw some like something moving, except for it was in front of that pole right there. Oh my god, that is scary! It has a feet. Is this real? Like somebody took this picture for real? Yeah, and it, it was on the phone while we were there, and no one was on that stairwell. I do not want to be here anymore. So before Molly gets here, I'm going to ask you a question, because this is it. This might be our final time here at the tavern. Uh, I'm standing outside the tavern on December 12th in the morning, actually, which is kind of new for us. Anyway, I'm here with Sarah, and I want to ask you, if this is our last time, what is your goal today? I really just want to check on Emily. I need to know what it is that she really wants us to do. She's making herself very visible, and she does... It's like she's giving you that I really want to move on, but I really need to know if that's what she wants to do. Um, then there's the other entities that I'm kind of wanting a little bit more clarification on. They are tending to hide themselves a little bit uh, more than Emily. Emily kind of seems that, to have a run of the place, but these guys are different. So I'm going to try to see if I can get a little bit more on them and see what the connection is. Are they keeping her here? Is she keeping herself here? If something's happening? I mean, there's... There's more to this story, and it's kind of frustrating because I've been trying to figure it out, and I can only come up with certain theories, so I just want to see what works. As we waited for Molly to arrive, the front door opened to the tavern, and a Hispanic woman by the name of Madi welcomed us inside. Turns out she was the custodian and was always the first person there every morning. I wondered if she had any experiences being alone in the building so often. Turns out she had. She couldn't speak English, so I'll let Sarah translate what she told us. So she said when she first started working here, and she gets in really early in the morning, so everything here is really quiet. She was working down here, and she heard somebody like graze the glass, the windows from upstairs. So she thought, oh my God, somebody's up there. And she didn't think anything of it. It scared her a little bit, so she called her supervisor, and she was like, hey, um, I just heard, like, this really weird sound. They're like, yeah, 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 don't worry about it. It happens all the time, you know, no big deal. She's like, oh, okay. And after a while, that's uh, it scared her initially, but then now she's so used to it that it's not, nothing. She'll hear footsteps up on the third floor, um, little sounds here and there, and she's just like, oh, okay, we're not, not a big deal. So she's already become accustomed to the sounds of the building. But she's never seen it. She's only heard noises. Molly arrived and Sarah and I asked her to join us on the third floor. We didn't want to waste any of this precious quiet time in the building. From our previous two investigations, we noticed a pattern. Sarah had to play cat and mouse with the spirits each time we visited, and she thought it might have something to do with the busy atmosphere of the tavern at night that kept the spirits nervous or energized. 
We wanted to see the place when it was dead. Quiet. No one there but Molly and the custodian Mari, of course. As soon as we got to the third floor stairway, Sarah was noticing a difference in the ghost's behavior. All right. Uh-oh. What happened? Yeah. Um, they're not ready. Okay. They're ready. It's already morning, I know. They're like, this is not part of our routine? No, I know. It's like, why are you here when you can pay attention? That's why. We moved on, up to the third floor landing, just a few feet away from the crawl space. Actually, we were standing where the eerie black mass was in the photo. Molly was with us, and the place was really quiet. We'd never had this much silence in the previous visits before. In the weeks and days prior to this, I'd noticed a bit of uneasiness amongst the tavern staff. Molly had mentioned that employees were starting to report being scared, and some were refusing to go up these very stairs that we were standing on now. And Molly's friend had her nerves rattled seeing a shadow figure move down the stairway when she went up to grab the towels that other night. And Molly herself had expressed her own fears and uneasiness with the third floor and the stairway since our first night of investigating, since the photograph was taken, since Sarah had discovered the male presence and called him out the night she first arrived. As all three of us were standing here, in the spot the photo was taken, just feet away from the crawl space where Emily was supposedly murdered, I remembered what Mark from the ghost tour had mentioned when we were at the coffee shop. Uh, Up until then, a lot of activity, there had not been a lot of activity after that, uh, it was kind of strange because more and more activity started kicking off after that. So my personal belief is that uh, whatever was in that closet has been called out and it's not so uh, a secret presence anymore and that Emily's seeking help to be rid of it. There were so many pieces to this elaborate puzzle now coming together. What happened on the Haunted ATX tour was so similar to what happened with Sarah. A sensitive person saw the oppressive spirit and called it out. Then activity began to increase and frighten the staff. With Sarah, though, I believe she had more time to really uncover more to this mystery, and it wasn't making this Walter character very happy. I hadn't told Sarah everything about what had gone on after our first investigation, but I had told her Molly and a few of the others were actually becoming fearful. I had no idea what Sarah was aiming to do today, but I was willing to back her up, whatever she decided to do. It's just a weird zone, that little area in there. Well, you have to, like, even duck to, like, get down there. So it's already... I just always feel vulnerable whenever I'm, like, passing through it. They're talking about the third floor stairwell. What I want to do is clear the stairwell and see if they get less activity on the stairs. So to do that, and I'd have to ask your permission, Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to burn a Palo Santo stick. And Emily won't be harmed in any way, shape, but I'm trying to open a doorway for her to get out if she needs to get out. And if she wants to leave, she'll leave. If she doesn't want to leave, she'll stay. It's almost like she comes directly here and then downstairs. She's kind of like just in between. She doesn't... There's places she avoids, and Mm -hmm. I told you they're never in the same room at the same time. And so I'm trying to see if I can give her a bigger space to either play in or be in or give her a door opening for her to be able to leave if she needs to leave. Uh, Palo Santo, what it does is it eliminates only the negativity. So if she's truly not a non-negative entity, which she is, and she chooses to stay, she can stay. But the feeling that I'm getting is she doesn't really want to, but she can't leave. Okay. So I'm trying to create that door to let her she has an option. go. And she'll have the choice to either stay or go. Okay. Sarah wanted to perform the cleansing she just described, so we sent Molly down to the first floor where it was safe. Sarah produced a stick of Palo Santo, which is actually Spanish for wood of the saints, or holy wood. 
The wood pieces, like the one that Sarah is about to use, is carved from sacred trees that can only be found in select parts of South America and a handful of other regions. Unlike sage, which, when burned, will ward off any spirit, Palo Santo is said to only ward off negative spirits or energy. And downstairs now. Sarah asked the child spirit, Emily, to go downstairs. And once she did, Sarah noticed the male spirit had arrived and was watching us at the bottom of the stairway. He's down there. On the bottom landing? On the bottom landing. He's a little pissed. Sarah lit the stick of Palo Santo at the top of the third floor landing. Its pleasant scent and smoke quickly filled the stairway and upstairs space around us. She began to speak. From all four corners, I invoke you to protect this space. You can no longer do harm here. Release the spirit in which you hold. Let them choose to leave or stay on their own, but you can no longer feel this place. Face the judgment that awaits you. Do not fear it. It is cleansing. Right the wrongs and let the spirit go. Let it go. We're running. At this moment, Sarah saw the male spirit run away. Where did you see him go? He just kind of descended the stairs and kind of lurked in. First he went in there, and that's what I'm trying to figure out. Did he disappear anywhere else, or is he gone, gone? Because I don't feel him at all. But I do see Maria. She's running around. I don't know. It's very strange. Okay. This was interesting. Maria, Emily's mother, was now here. And Sarah was reporting that she was running around. Then I watched Sarah as she began looking around the stairwell. She peered down along the wall that runs up to the third floor. Then she started tapping on the wall. Is there a... What's in here? Well, that's the crawl, Is that space, the crawl space right there. So that's that goes in there. But I don't know if it... You can see it? That might be... Let me see real quick. You're right there. I took a look on the second floor but didn't see anything upon first glancing at the wall Sarah was seeming to point to. There's nothing on this side. It's just the wall where they have uh, dishes and the stuff. dishes and stuff? Mm-hmm. Maria was giving me that go right there. It's like there's a space in between here. Sarah was pointing below us, under the stairs we were now standing on. She was saying that Maria was telling her to look there. So I decided to go have another look, and I made a new discovery. I'd missed it before but there was another small closet door just across from Emily's closet on the second floor that was directly under the third floor stairwell. Oh, there is. There's a door over here. Those wires I saw come into here, but then there's a door right here. Sarah immediately began opening the door. (laughs) Nice try. I found out where you're hiding. We'd apparently just made an important discovery. This closet, directly under the stairs, appears to have been Walter's hiding spot. Inside was a sort of AV closet. A large electronic station of sorts was tucked into the corner where all the wires and cables from every single TV in the tavern was connected. These cables ran along the inside of the wall and dropped down between the stairs and the wall that runs alongside the third floor stairwell. Sarah burned the Palo Santo stick and instructed the man to go. He could no longer hide there, she said. He runs. Open that. the man that's hiding in here? Yes. I went back up to the third floor stairwell and pressed my head against the wall. I could see the 50 plus cables tied together in a large rope tucked between the space between the third floor stairs and the stairwell wall. 
I could now see the light coming from the tiny AV closet under the stairs. My mind was racing with thoughts. The power from the 40-plus TVs in this place is bundled up together and running to this one place. The power's focal point, this third-floor stairwell. And in paranormal research, it's commonly believed that spirits can draw energy from electronics and batteries to manifest themselves, to move objects, or to touch things. I began to get goosebumps, realizing that this space I was now standing in, and the space below that Sarah claimed to be Walter's hiding space, was an abundant source of energy. Maybe the strongest source in the entire building. Could the spirits be drawing their energy from this? Is Walter able to manifest himself on the stairwell and frighten co-workers and appear in our photographs because of this energy? Is this why Emily could take Sarah's stone and leave it on the stairwell? So many things were racing through my head, but I didn't have time to think on them just yet. Sarah was reporting new activity below. Oh, he's super angry, and Maria is calming down a little bit. You're being nice to me today, aren't you? She's upstairs. Emily, find your mom and go. Go to a safer space. <laughs> just, he was angry. He just came through me. That was horrible. Okay. You need to go. You cannot be here anymore. You can't go back upstairs. I just closed that off to you. You have no other place to run. I don't know how long he'll go. But he's going. The cleansing came to an end, and we wanted to update Molly, so we called her up to the second floor and had a seat at a table. So I've created you a safe space, kind of upstairs. I wanted to eliminate that negative entity from the stairwell. And when you start, of course, he gets angry, so they're not very Sarah told her about Walter running away when she burned the Palo Santo, and how Maria showed up and helped Sarah discover the hidden closet under the third floor stairs that seemed to have been Walter's hiding spot. Sarah also mentioned to us just then that she could see Maria and Emily now running around the building. And Emily and Maria are kind of running around like we're doing, like they're doing the work. So they're doing the work for me. They're actually looking around. Really? Let them look. If they find them, they'll, they'll come and tell me. So I'm going to give it a little bit. Yeah. It, my theory is that she was holding them hostage as much as she could down in this floor. Emily was allowed to run in certain spaces, which was basically the crawl space, the office. Mm-hmm. She would take the dumbwaiter downstairs and that's why you had like activity downstairs yeah, that was kitchen. her her way of kind of like entertaining herself basically um but the stairwell the stairwell was not her the stairwell was him the hair pulling was him the jewelry shiny jewelry i'm seeing shiny yeah twinkly stuff that's emily that's she her. likes she likes shiny stuff she likes jewelry she likes to take stuff mm-hmm. it was at this point that i interjected and mentioned something i was dying to know I hadn't actually asked Sarah if she knew who or what was the black mass that we'd captured in the photograph at the top of the third floor stairwell. I'm I'm still torn. I don't know what that ma- that black thing in the picture is. What, that what? was him encased somehow by Maria. I think what Maria does is she holds on to him and doesn't let him do go past a certain point on the stairwell. It's like it's a sh- like she's like I can okay I can see it. I'm explaining. It's like a shroud, like she can hold him mm-hmm. and pull him back. So I think she was actually protecting the space. Keeping um, him from going Keeping up. him from going up. And I think it was keeping him from going up because she's keeping him away from Emily, essentially. Yeah, she's like, not safe. I know he's not safe. I know he's not safe. And I think she was containing him. She was containing him here or containing him in different spaces without letting him either come up or mm-hmm. come down or cause harm. And it was the little things when he would get away from her. Like, if he did pull your hair on the way down, it's because you were actually passing right by him. Right by him. Oh, my God. That's crazy. 
when you're passing right by. And it was like he was was something new, a new thing to mess with, a new toy to play with. And he's very, his mind was, he was gross. His mind was very gross. And when you pass the stairs, or like when I would go up the stairs, it was just constant barrages of ugly images the second time that I was here. Because the first time he was very smart and did the, nothing's going on here. Mm-hmm. Nothing's happening. Everything's a-okay. Mm-hmm. So, like, he was on his best behavior because he knew he was going to get caught. The other thing that baffles me now is that this happened. Let's say this happened up there in that crawl space or on the stairway, wherever it happened. I'm so baffled at how the spirits are all three here. Like, yeah. they didn't die here. Just Emily died here, based on what you're reading. Because I think there's something else. I think there's something more to it. I really think that whoever this guy was was a major player here in the city and they covered it up he just didn't get punished okay and they couldn't move on either maria didn't move on because she was angry because she wanted to be back with her daughter emily just hasn't moved on because of the trauma and somehow this guy has a good firm hold another thing that bothered me from the beginning was how there was no historical data to back any of this up I'd searched relentlessly for some shred of evidence that would prove that Emily or Maria even existed. I spent days researching at the Austin History Center and online, but I turned up nothing. With Sarah's lead on the Walter character being Mr. W, I was able to dig up a ton of information on him. He was indeed a very powerful political figure during the early 1900s. His mustache was insanely prominent, one of the most unique mustaches I've ever seen, so it definitely stood out. I also did find articles mentioning that he did frequent the tavern, and also confirmed that he did actually live within walking distance to it. But his name was not Walter, or Walters. It was something entirely different. This bothered me. But as this episode progresses, Sarah will discover something new that offers up a theory as to why this name is different. But although my research turned up very little, and was a huge frustrating part of this case for me, I was surprisingly uncovering more clues to this mystery within my own audio recordings. One of the biggest red flags I had about this case was this. The story of Emily's murder was out there already. It existed and was being talked about and shared amongst the staff before Sarah and I even came to the tavern. So someone knew this story. Someone started telling it. So where the hell did they get their facts? Why wasn't I able to find any records to validate these stories? I voiced these concerns to Sarah one night when we were talking on the phone when we first began investigating the place. It was then that she told me something that I took in but hadn't fully absorbed until now. Initially, when we, when you and I went... Um it was really weird because it was kind of like very quiet, um, almost like nothing was happening. But once you started prying in further, you could see that Emily was stuck there. Like she was trapped there. So if there was somebody who was a sensitive like me or somebody that maybe even Emily reached out to uh, asking for help or telling somebody that she was stuck, and if she did this throughout years, of multiple mediums coming in and, and she's trying to reach out and she was very desperate to get out of that tavern loop that she was in, I can totally see um, how the story got out. Because I can see these mediums going, hey, did you ever hear about this girl? Or do you know any more information? Maybe even talking to some of the owners throughout the years or patrons throughout the years if that maybe they've seen something. Now, allow me to just go on a bit of a rant here. I rarely do this, but I think it's important. Or at least to me it is. One of the issues I've had from day one of investigating the tavern is how there seemed to be no sources for the ghost story. I tried to trace the stories back to someone, but never could. Until now. Listen to this clip from my original interviews 
with the staff. We used to have this guy, he died in March. I don't want to talk about it too much because he liked to say that he doesn't leave tracks and he would hate that we ever use his name on a podcast. But uh, we had this regular named who was everybody's best friend and he'd been coming here for years and years and he built a bunch of restaurants in Austin and he was just an old guy. And he'd always sit at the bar. He'd be at the bar all night and he knew all the regulars and he knew all the people and he was part of the ghost tour. You know what I mean? Like the ghost tour would come through and they'd be like, okay, this is and he's been here forever. And he claimed to be clairvoyant. Whether he wasn't, he liked to spin a yarn, but... um, Did you catch that? The last part of what Sam said there? It totally slipped under my radar too. I'd even cut that part out of the version I chopped together for part one of this series. This regular Sam mentions who had recently passed away claimed to have been clairvoyant. Sam, who I love because he's a hardcore skeptic, just quickly mentions this in passing in our first interview. You can hear him lightly pass it off, so I kind of did the same thing. Didn't think much of it at the time. But as I've been trying to piece together the puzzle to this complex mystery, I came across another clue. This is a clip of Sarah recapping her time after our first investigation outside on the patio. Listen again to what she says. But he's smart because he's not messing with anybody here. He's not messing with the staff. He's not doing anything. He's just oppressing her. That's like his job, is to just oppress everyone. That's why he's always watching. He's always vigilant. I think you guys haven't had a sensitive person in here in a while. Because he's made sure. Like, maybe he makes them uncomfortable because, or feeds them nothing. I think the nothing I got was from him. Like a block. When I initially walked in... So it wasn't until I started prying, and I think that's why he was kind of looming. I think he wanted, he was trying to trick me into thinking there was nothing here. Now this is just my theory, so I'm not saying you have to believe it. But the story wouldn't feel complete if I didn't share this with you. The ghost story surrounding the tavern was inconsistent from the beginning. I voiced my concerns about this in The Tavern Part 2. A story doesn't get more accurate the more mouths it passes through. It usually gets way less accurate and more exaggerated. But here's my revelation. Again, it's just my own personal theory, but hear me out. I believe I know why the stories of Emily are so inconsistent, and how all this adds up to where we are now. I've been with Sarah on a few cases now, and witnessed firsthand how she reads places and communicates with these things that I cannot see or even sense most of the time. It's fascinating to watch, but let me tell you, it's no walk in the park for Sarah. She has to visit a place multiple times, and usually this stuff she gets initially doesn't make much sense at first. She has to call out things as she's getting them, and tries to make them all fit as best she can. It isn't until we've spent hours, and most times days at a location, chasing things down, trying to figure out how to communicate with them, that the stories start coming together and making sense. I mean, we witnessed that here with the tavern. She believed the spirit of Emily was a boy for a couple of hours into our first investigation here. So with that in mind, let's just imagine that this regular that Sam mentioned, who recently passed away, was the actual source of the original tell of Emily. It's not entirely impossible that he could have misread some of what he was getting there in the beginning. That would mean the stories were coming together for him, but they weren't quite accurate. Over time, his many decades of being a regular patron of the bar, the story would become more clear to him. But let's take these factors into consideration as well. The regular was most likely just coming to unwind and relax at his favorite hangout when he was here. He most likely wasn't coming to go ghost hunting or investigate the place like Sarah and I were. He might have not even had access to the third floor most of the time, or was ever even drawn up there. 
he also might not have had as strong a gift as Sarah. And then you also have this male spirit who Sarah says was doing a good job of oppressing Emily and also keeping things covered up. He might have never gotten much except for what Marie and Emily had pushed through to him. And since he was a regular for over two decades here, I feel that eventually, some of the true story of what happened to Emily got through to him. And let's not forget the lady on the ghost tour. She was another sensitive that got a little more of the story after she went up to the third floor. It's all these little pieces that somehow fit together that make me want to believe this. But I'll leave it up to you to decide what you think. Okay, enough ranting for now. Let's get back to the end of our final investigation, where Sarah is now starting to get something new from Maria on the second floor. Fields. There's this field. There's a... Uh, oh my god, it's all coming in all at once. Maria, please slow down. Fields, shovels. They're throwing stuff on, like a cover. Like a, a tarp or a blanket. That's She's giving me lots of stuff. And then just his face, which I hadn't been able to see clearly. Wait, shovels in the tarp? Is it someone being, something being buried? Or is it... I can't tell. Pass the shovels. Pass the tarp. Come on, tell me what it is that you want to tell me. It's just his face. It's his face. It's the tarp. Like it's, it's itchy, like uh, mm. hard something. It's over. Uh, shovels. Like there's just dirt being flung everywhere. That's what I'm seeing. That's okay. all I'm seeing. That's so weird. And, and compression. That's Emily. That's Emily. That's more... Her compressed, stuck, uh, like she's stuck between two things. After this barrage of information that was thrown at Sarah by Maria, she suddenly got quiet. Then Sarah said something that shocked Molly and I, something that had never crossed our minds until now. I think they killed the mother. The only way they could have got away with it, they had to have killed her. They had to have killed them both. They had to have done it, the mother and she the knew. daughter, because yeah. she knew, and she knew who it was, and something like that. Not to make the paper yeah. back then doesn't make any doesn't make any sense. Okay, you can stop. Sarah put her hands up. You could tell that she was getting imagery that wasn't pleasant. I I get it. More shovels. Um, lots of hitting. Itches like I can feel like itching, scratching. Hitting, she's like like the barrages of hitting, lots of hitting, pushing, punching. Like I can feel the terror. So she died horrible, horribly, and fighting, almost also. And just that one man's face, I don't understand it. She's screaming at me, Walter. Molly, Sarah, and I sat there for a bit. This new revelation, or theory, if you'd rather call it that it really hit us all pretty hard. And the more we sat there and thought about it, it just made sense that this would have actually happened. I mean, if you think about it, logically, there's no death record for the girl. There's no death. We don't even know who the mother was other than what I'm getting. There's just got to be a way to put it together. I'm thinking if they had to do it, if it was somebody, they had to have covered it up by getting rid of both. It had to have been done. And he had to have held help. I want to focus on who the hell Walter is because they're, I keep thinking they're the same person, but it's, it's not. It's so clearly and distinctly not this, the same. Unless he used an alias. What Sarah's referring to here is the fact that the face Maria shows her is that of the man that she knows as Walter. 
However, in her research following our second investigation, she found that photo of a political figure that she said was Walter. However, his name was something else entirely. The only similarity is that his last name started with a W. But as we all sat here on the second floor, absorbing all that was coming out of Sarah's mouth from what Maria was showing her, this theory that he could have used another name when he visited the brothel surfaced. It's possible. And in Sarah's notes, the name was always Walter. She insisted even now as we sat there that Maria and Emily called him Walter still. But Sarah was positive the man in the photos, Mr. W, was the same man. This was confusing us. But if he was a well-known figure, which Mr. W was, it might be that he wanted to use another name to protect his real identity. Just then, Maria began sharing more with Sarah. Maria's much younger than I thought she was. Much younger. She's like in her... She's around around your age, maybe, perhaps, late 20s. So she was a young mom. Comparison, I mean, they almost look like they could be the same age. Close to the same age, they're almost the same height, uh, size, maybe a little bit different. Emily's very much thinner. Maria's a little more full. She was young, young when she had her 16, 15, somewhere around there. Sarah had never really said anything about what Maria's role at the tavern was. I asked her if she was getting anything about what Maria did for a living. Just shame, shrouded, and like the, that's all I could do, kind of reaction. Pointed, shrewd, almost like she kind of just got stuck in that lifestyle and just got good at it. Uh, oh my god I'm getting like lots of like if she, in reference to Walter it was like um, stuff like he gave her a lot of stuff he brought her a lot of stuff like almost all constant like a regular mm-hmm. person yeah um, Emily was kind of like in the mix in between they're kind of always in the background kind of always there so she trusted him she he didn't scare her and barrages it's they're one and the same same person different name or that's what she called him she had a horrible life horrible horrible lots of pain to her emily was like her whole world that was her whole world right there that's sad the tavern would soon be open for business so we had to end our session sarah told molly to make sure to let us know if any of the staff reported feeling the negative presence again she also left a blue stone in the office upstairs that would protect them sarah and molly said their goodbyes But I wanted to sit Molly down to see how she felt about everything now that it was coming to an end. I feel better knowing, you know, because there were, there's like so many different stories and you really don't know what to believe, but they're all horrible stories. And um, it doesn't make it any better for them, the ghosts per se, but at least now we know like what happened and we have information to where maybe we can figure out like who they were. Also knowing that um, Emily and Maria, they don't want to hurt us. And they like us. What would you ultimately want for Emily and Maria? I mean, if they want to move on, I want them to move on. But if they're happy here, I mean, they've been here for so long. If they want to stay, that's perfectly fine. I just want them to be at peace, however that could be possible. And I want them to realize that they're both in the same place. I mean, I think they're both here. And I think it makes sense um, that the mother did get murdered as well, because how else would it be covered up? Um, which I think provides a little bit more insight. I couldn't really understand why she was here, why the mother's ghost was here. But if she died so soon after Emily, I guess it makes a little bit more sense to me why she would be here as well. I mean, maybe it even happened here. You know, the second one. 
Um, but I feel better about it, and I, I believe everything. Especially, like, you know, she said it was a fight. Like, just if he was trying to buy her silence and she just wasn't having it, you know? She could have said something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. The whole, there's a million things that could have happened. Mm-hmm. I don't think we'll ever really know. Molly's right. Some things can't always have closure. But I feel better about where we ended this case now. Today, I witnessed Sarah confront the male spirit that seemed to be oppressing Emily and could actually feel the negative energy lift from the building as she chased him out. Also, it was kind of comforting to learn that, even in death, a mother would do anything she could to protect her own child. Looking back at the photograph now, it doesn't frighten me like it did before. If the image is what Sarah says it is, Maria's anger and strength enveloping the dark spirit, keeping him back from getting to those stairs keeping him from getting to her daughter again. Thanks for listening to episode four of the Night Owl podcast. For exclusive extras and the infamous photo of the black figure on the third floor stairwell, visit our blog page for this episode. Just visit thenightowlpodcast.com. Click on the blog tab and click on episode four's blog link. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and subscribe to our channel. You can visit us at thenightowlpodcast.com. And if you have a story to tell, please email me at thenightowlpodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to take this time to thank our musician friends who have sponsored this episode. Nicholas Fair out of Corpus Christi and P.D. Wilder from Austin, Texas. You can get a link to their websites or their work on our website. I'd also like to thank Haunted ATX for sharing their stories with me. If you'd like to tour the tavern, Make sure to visit their website and book a ghost tour today. Visit hauntedatx.com. Stay restless, and we'll see you next time. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftwork Sound. If you're ready to up the production quality of your podcasts or music, go to driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T, worksound.com. And get your project mixed, mastered, or produced using well-established methods and unconventional techniques. That's driftworksound.com. And remember... Your first master is completely free.